Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast, episode 31 of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, joined alongside, as always, with Hooks Orpik himself, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. Welcome everybody. Episode 31 of the pod, and we have some limited numbers to choose from here, huh? Uh, yes, a very uninspiring group of candidates for number 31. Right. All goalies, I believe... Um, I will go with, I think, the person or the reason why Pittsburgh is so obsessed with the backup goaltender, and I will go with Ken Reggett as my number 31. Interesting. Interesting throwback, certainly during your time period, not during my time period, but Ken Reggett. That's early days. That, early days of my time period, first of all. <laughs> I think that's the second time we have a Ken Reggett name drop on the podcast, if I remember. I remember we were talking about him, I think it was a couple episodes ago, about goalie masks. We had a question in the mailbag about goalie masks, and I think I brought up Ken Reggett. But let's show Ken Reggett some more love. You go with Ken Reggett. I'm going to go with, I believe he's the most recent number 31, Antti Niemi, everyone's favorite backup goaltender, whose three-game stint with the Pittsburgh Penguins is uh, very infamously remembered going 0-3 with a 797 save percentage. Uh, Very beautiful statistics and a a nice way to, to get the podcast going, how... We very fondly remember Antti Niemi and his time as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Uh, but, Jim, we have uh, th- this is a very special episode of the podcast, and uh, by the time it goes out, everyone will have known what has happened uh, in regards to the Pittsburgh Penguins, that they have finally gotten their captain back. Sidney Crosby has returned to the ice. Before we dive deeper into Sidney Crosby's return, we have some games to talk about since our last podcast, and we'll start with the game against the Colorado Avalanche in which the Penguins won in overtime by a score of 4-3 to three, uh, thanks to uh, a Jared McCann goal. I believe it was Jared McCann's overtime game winner at the 319 mark of the overtime period. And Jim, looking at this game, we don't have to spend too much time recapping these games, but we'll just go briefly through them. It, it, it's a, it was a similar fashion. Sidney Crosby had not returned to the ice and the Penguins were wrapping up a Western Conference road trip. And it seems that uh, while the Penguins have been without Sidney Crosby, they have been no stranger to battling for that extra point, whether it be in the overtime period or the shootout. And we will talk about the shootout momentarily. But uh, it's good that the Penguins get this extra point, beating what I thought to be a, a pretty sound competitor in the Colorado Avalanche. Looking back, you know, they have been on a, a little bit of a slide recently. At, at time of recording, I believe they've lost, they're on a little bit of a, of a downturn losing the last four games. But the Penguins beating a sound Western Conference opponent, getting the extra point in overtime, like I said, winning 4-3. to three. Do you have any thoughts on what you saw, what you remember from the 4-3 to three victory over the Colorado Avalanche? That one, what stands out to me a lot was what could have been for Matt Murray. Could have been a really like get on track kind of game, and is it was unusual that really that they started him because they pretty much been starting Tristan Jari for all the non back to back games, but they threw Matt Murray out for Colorado, which I thought was kind of throwing them to the wolves because Colorado was averaging three point six goals per game every game coming in, and Matt Murray was really great. Uh, he made twenty eight saves on thirty one shots. The only problem, the only big stain, which you might remember now, it seems like it happened a long time ago now, but the Gabriel Landeskog goal he scored just kind of flipping the puck in from beyond the blue line was 
you know, it was unfortunate. It was fluky. And maybe if, if Matt Murray hasn't had the season that he's had, you kind of just laugh about it and forget about it. But I think it still is, is kind of going to hang in his mind here that, you know, he just can't quite get the bounces. He can't figure everything out. And I mean, it, it kind of sucks for him just that that happened, but yeah, that, that, that one stung, but it was cool right after that was over. That was the end of the second period that happened. Um, the Penguins came out and scored the next two goals unanswered to get that lead right back for him. So I thought it was cool. They rallied around him and, you know, a takeaway of this team all year is they never quit. They keep on pushing. And even when something bad like that happens that you can't control, they didn't let it ruin their night and they kept on going. And they did keep on going into their next game against Rick Tockett, Phil Kessel, Taylor Hall, and the Arizona Coyotes. I guess the story of this game, the, the thing that I remember from it was uh, the fact at the end of the game, really, uh, Brandon Tanev tying the game, tying the game late in the third period, and what happened? Uh, they, they go into overtime, no score in the overtime period. Pretty entertaining overtime period, from what I remember. But both of these two teams go into the shootout. And uh, it was an eight-round shootout. Teddy Bluger scoring the shootout winner. Tristan Jari getting another win, looking very calm and composed in the shootout. Uh, wrapping up a pretty successful Western Conference swing, as I uh, as I previously mentioned, uh, getting a- another victory by a score of four to three before they headed home to take on the Minnesota Wild. Jim, any uh, any major thoughts? Anything that stands out to you in this four to three victory shootout victory for the Pittsburgh Penguins? over the Arizona Coyotes. I think you touched it on it all. They um they definitely did. They found a way. They got that extra point. And yeah, three Western road games. They won each one of them by a score of four to three, which is kind of unusual. And the Vegas one was regulation. The Colorado one was overtime. The Arizona one was a shootout. So yeah, they like we've said, they just kept on finding a way no matter who it was, whether it was Teddy Bluger, Brandon Tanev, Tristan Jari, Matt Murray, Malkin, Russ, just a different guy stepping up, McCann, that, you know, a, a really balanced team effort I felt on that road trip that the hero could come from any line or at any time, really, you just kind of felt like something good was going to happen because they were working hard and getting chances, and eventually they just stuck with it enough to get the wins. And then we move into the game that everyone has been had been clamoring for, you know, there had been rumblings that maybe this would be the game the Penguins finally return home to host the Minnesota Wild. Would this be the game that Sidney Crosby makes his long-awaited return after missing 28 games with the sports hernia injury? And as a matter of fact, Sidney Crosby did return to the ice in a 7-3 thrashing of the Minnesota Wild where Sidney Crosby registered Four points in his return, a goal with three assists. Evgeny Malkin uh, with a, a highlight reel, a highlight reel pass, no look pass to Brian Rust. That was something that sticks in my mind while watching the recap of that game. Evgeny Malkin having a great, great night as well. Uh, this game really never looked like it was, um, you know, going that the Penguins were never going to lose this game. Going out two nothing at the end of the first, scoring two more goals to go up four to one by the end of the second period. And uh, scoring three goals in the third period to uh, get the W like by a score of seven to three. And Jim, there was some some miscommunication, I guess you could say, uh, by the part of the Minnesota Wild and, and a little bit of a mishap as it relates to their lineup sheet. Uh, I, I'm I saw a little bit of it. I I, I, think, I think the gist of it was that the Minnesota Wild 
were playing with five defensemen for the entire game because of a misprint on their lineup sheet. I know you were recapping that game. Can you fill me in on what exactly happened as to why the Minnesota Wild were playing with five defensemen for this whole game? Yeah, it was something you really never, ever see at the NHL level. And basically what you said is right, that the coaches write down, and they only write down the numbers, which doesn't, which seems like you could make a mistake pretty easily, so I'm surprised it never really happens, but um, when the Wild turned in their lineup card in the pregame to the officials, they left Ryan Donato, who was a forward, on the pregame sheet, and they did not put Greg Pattern, a defenseman who had just recently returned from an injury, on with the playing side. So the mistake was they wrote Donato's number down when they should have written the defenseman Greg Pattern's number. So the referees noticed that, I guess, in warm-ups, which players were on the ice, and they let uh, Wild head coach Bruce Boudreau know this before the game started. It caused a short delay that, hey, you got this player, Greg Pattern. He's ineligible, basically, for this game. You can't let him play. And um, Bruce Boudreau fell on the sword after the game. He took full responsibility, said it was all his fault. But we've actually heard and seen that a lot of times the assistant coaches will do this, and then the head coach kind of looks it over and gives it in. So it might not just totally be Bruce Boudreau's fault, but, you know, the buck stops with him. He's the head coach, so he really got out in front of it and said, yeah, that one's on me. But you don't see that too often at the NHL, and I'm sure something like this comes out, and now everybody will be very focused to make sure that they check all the boxes and get everything right because, yeah, uh, the Wild looked like they were having enough problems on the ice. They were taking some dumb penalties. They weren't really skating all that well, and to only have five defensemen available for the whole game was a pretty big disadvantage for them. Yes, and like I said, the, the score line pretty easily reflects that. As you said, they were taking some pretty uh, careless penalties as well. The story of this game, like I said at the beginning, is the return of Sidney Crosby. So let's move into some Sidney Crosby talk. And, you know, we've talked about Sidney Crosby quite a bit while he's been rehabbing from the sports hernia injury. But now that he's back, he has this four-point night. Looks like he really never even lost a step. Gets right back into the swing of things on the first line. So my question to you, Jim, is after Sidney Crosby misses this length of time and it looks like he really hasn't lost a step, the question becomes now, what's going to happen to this lineup? And we saw, uh, if I could pull up the lineup here, we saw last night that Sidney Crosby was paired in large part with Dominic Simone and Jared McCann. Dominic Cahoon, Evgeny Malkin, and Brian Rust. The Brian Rust of Evgeny Malkin pairing, like you had mentioned on the last podcast, you really didn't have a sense that they were going to break up Evgeny Malkin and Brian Rust. And at least in the short term, after one game, you can't put too much stock into one game, but after one game, that pairing stays together. McCann gets the bump up back to the first line with Crosby, Simone on the right side. I don't want to put too much stock into this game, like I said. It's only one game. We don't know what's going to happen. The Penguins will have tougher tasks ahead of them. Uh, as they play the the likes of the Philadelphia Flyers and the Boston Bruins in the upcoming portion of their schedule before they go on a break. But Jim, looking at the early results with Jared McCann and Dominic Simone on the top line with Sidney Crosby, do you foresee this? Do you foresee Mike Sullivan maybe giving McCann and Simone uh, a little bit of time with Crosby to seeing if that kind of meshes as as to like what we saw with Evgeny uh, Malkin and Brian Brian Rust while Crosby was out? That is certainly the big question, and I, for right now, the answer is why not? Because they don't have that many other choices really to go with. Like you mentioned, 
they're going to keep Brian Rust with Evgeny Malkin, as they definitely should, given how well those two are playing together. And they want to keep together the Tanev line with Bluger and Aston Reese, which also is a good idea. You don't want to mess that up. So other than maybe sprinkling in some Patrick Hornquist to play with Sidney Crosby, I don't see what else really their options are unless they make a trade or do something like that. Um, if you look at it, Jared McCann kind of compares really comp- really favorably, I think, to Jake Gensel in a lot of ways in, in sort of his style and size. Doesn't have the goal-scoring touch that, that Gensel does, but I think you don't have to squint too hard there to see that could be something uh, worth keeping around for a while, maybe even into the playoffs if it works. The other element to that line, Dominic Simone, of course, is always going to be a lightning rod because he'll do some good things as far as his advanced metrics and possession numbers. And the Penguins usually almost always outchance the opposition a lot with Dominic Simone. He's he's a classic guy. He does little things right. He's a smart player. So it's it's that's a good fit with Crosby, too. I don't know if I buy that as a long-term solution, though, just based on the production, especially from a Crosby line. You're going to need like that play last night where Crosby banked the puck across the net, just left the defenseman in his wake, and then circled out from back behind the net and gave a great pass to Simone. Simone finished that one, but that's the kind of chance that Simone doesn't you know, always finish. He's not the greatest goal scorer. So if you've got Sid given those passes, you need it to a guy who's going to finish. So give Simone credit. He had a goal, and he had a really nice assist last night, too, passing the puck to Jared McCann. So as long as he's playing like that, like obviously, then sure, keep him in there. Let him keep going as far as he can take you. But I do think eventually maybe the building blocks there are going to be keep McCann and Crosby together. And then you try to figure out, is it going to be Simone for a little bit on that line? Is it going to be Patrick Hornquist? Is it going to be maybe a guy they trade for? And then that frees up Cahoon and Rust to play with Malkin, which I think they also definitely want to stick with. Yeah. You brought up an interesting point as you were concluding what you were saying. And I kept thinking about it while you were talking was you know the, the 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 possibility of the Penguins bringing in uh, a trade chip. You know whether that be uh, Chris Kreider, like we had mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast. Jason Zucker out of the Minnesota Wild uh, is starting to float up uh, is a name that's starting to float up again in in trade rumors. Uh, we have obviously no concrete evidence of what Jim Rutherford is going to do, and we spent a lot of time on last week's podcast diving into potential trade targets uh, who could replace Jake Ensel. But Jim, I agree with you. Uh, for the time being, having Jared McCann back on the top line with Crosby and Simone, who, like you said, does a lot of little things right and every once in a while seems to find the back of the net. You know, for the time being, I, I think it is a, a solid top six, one that I think the Penguins could ride. And I think you and I both agree that Jim Rutherford is going to find at least one replacement via trade to come in and bolster this team as they look for a lengthy playoff run. But we will have to wait and see what Rutherford decides to do uh, on that front. And if you look at it, uh, the one advantage that he has right now is that the team is playing well. They're on a four-game winning streak as we record this podcast. So it's not like he needs to feel pressure with this because a lot of the Rutherford's public comments, which we know are very reflective of what he's thinking, is that he likes this team. He likes the way it's playing, as he should, because I think everybody can see they have great energy. They're, they're playing the right way, to use the Mike Sullivan phrase. They're doing what they should be doing, and they're getting success. So there's no real pressure 
pressure on the general manager to, you know, swing for the fences. And we've seen Jim Rutherford before when he's not happy. That's when he's traded out Carl Hagelin or he's traded for Eric Branson. Like he seems very emotional in his management style that where if he feels the pressure to make a move, he's going to make the move. And I think that's a really positive thing right now is that there's no reason to feel pressure. And as he said, he doesn't really feel pressure yet. He's going to wait to try to target the right guy that can improve the team. And like you said, when you were starting that, you said that the Penguins at the time of recording were on a four-game win streak, and there's really no reason to to make some type of a move just now. And that reminded me of, I'm sure it's been talked about since, um, you know, since the game against the Wild on, on um, uh, Tuesday, but the, the fact that the Penguins went 18-6-4 without Crosby, like you said, Mike Sullivan had these players buying in on a nightly basis, and... It would it, it would have been easy to for the Penguins players to sort of, you know, fade back and and, and kind of fall into the standings of the metro, the Metropolitan Division, not thinking that oh without Crosby and putting so much pressure on Evgeny Malkin you know this team might falter a little bit and they did the exact opposite so I, yeah that, that's a good point you bring up there there's really no reason here in the middle of January to go out and, and make a trade that could falter with some with the chemistry of the lines that Mike Sullivan is currently deploying. So, again, it's just a testament to what the team has done in the absence of Sidney Crosby, something that I did not think they'd be able to do. The success, the prolonged success, uh, I did not think that they would be able to sustain that. I don't know about you, Jim, but the fact that they did all of this without Crosby, now hopefully Crosby is here for the rest of the season and into a lengthy playoff run, but it's just a testament to Mike Sullivan's, uh, Mike Sullivan's genius and the ability of the players to buy in. Right. And if you look at it, I mean, the Penguins right now are in second place. And you mentioned the great record they had with Crosby. Imagine if they lose five or six games that they win and they're sitting then in fourth or fifth place. It's a big dogpile right now with Carolina in fourth place with in the division with 56 points, Philadelphia with 54 points. Columbus Blue Jackets kind of out of nowhere have been playing great the past month to six weeks. They have 54 points. Even the Rangers are a little bit better than expected with 48 points, even though they're out of the mix. So the Penguins have 63 points. They're well ahead of that kind of dogfight that's going on towards the middle of the division for that those wild card positionings. So yeah, yeah, to your point, like that that's great for Rutherford because his team's set up that he doesn't have to, you know, make make that bold move. And I do think like you were saying, like, wonder if the Penguins weren't doing so good instead of winning 18 games without Crosby, if they won like 12 or 13 and kind of had a 500 record right now, then I think there'd be a lot more pressure to go out and, you know, give them something or make some kind of big trade so that they could get into a better playoff spot. So that's a really advantageous position that they're in right now, which is pretty awesome. And who would have guessed that a couple months ago? And I think one of the players besides Evgeny Malkin and Tristan Jari who has helped the Penguins in the absence of Sidney Crosby is that of Chris Letang. And news came out within the last week that not only is Chris Letang going to the All-Star game, but he has since been named the captain of the Metropolitan Division team in the All-Star game, replacing Alex Ovechkin while Ovechkin has opted to rest. And Jim, I think I think you and I are members of what has since been known, since has been named on Penguins Twitter as the Latang cult. And uh, I don't want to give too much, too much airtime to the account that shall not be named, who, who puts all of these media members and bloggers and what have you into this Latang cult. But let's talk about Chris Latang. And 
the success that he's had this season, like we, we said this on last week's episode uh, when talking about Chris Letang heading to the All-Star game, this isn't his first rodeo, but it's the sixth time that Chris Letang has been selected to the All-Star game, which he takes sole possession now of this being the most, the most, the largest, how do I want to word this? The, the most times that he, the Penguins defenseman has been selected to an All-Star game with six selections and it was previously he was previously sharing the mark with five selections with Hall of Fame defenseman Paul Coffey. So I, I think with Chris Letang now being named uh, Metropolitan Division captain in addition to being recognized heading to the All-Star game, which is a nice honor in, a, in of, it, of itself, uh, I think it just adds to Chris Letang's um, legacy as one of the best Penguins defensemen of all time. For sure, and he just uh, crossed the 400 career assist mark last or Wednesday, Tuesday night as well. So yeah, more accomplishments, more achievements for he's piling up those kind of achievements and records for himself. So yeah, that's that's great to see. I I think Jim, I I don't know about you, but is it time to sell high on Chris Letang? Is it time to trade him to see whatever whatever young assets and whatever young wingers and whatever draft picks? I I think it's time. I think it's time we trade Chris Letang while his value seeming is seemingly at an all time high. I I don't know about you, but I I think this is it. I think this is the time we have to trade Chris Letang. Yeah, maybe so. It's just like every summer when Jim Rutherford says, "Oh, we gotta we gotta try to get Chris Letang's minutes down and." and get some help, and then you look up this time of year, he's played 25, 26 minutes, because, you know, even though John Marino's stepping out and been great, um, when you have a tough shift, you're going to go with Chris Letang when you're the coach on the bench. He's he's the best player on defense that they have, so they're going to rely on him, and, you know, you can't just cut time from a guy like that. He's too valuable, so no sarcastic Garrett. I'm afraid not. I'm afraid they're going to just have to hold on to probably a top five to ten defenseman in the league when he's healthy. Long live the hashtag Latang cult. Long live. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, Jim, we're heading into our mailbag segment of the podcast. For those first-time listeners, long-time listeners who are interested in joining this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg podcast Twitter account at Pensburg Pod. Every Tuesday, I will send out a, a mailbag tweet asking for your participation. No question is off limits as it pertains to the mailbag segment. We love getting all of this interaction from everyone who listens to the podcast. It's greatly appreciated. Jim, like always, you'll get first crack at the mailbag this week. And our first question comes from longtime listener, longtime question asker, Cole Delvecchio. And he says, we heard that Sidney Crosby was close to returning for about a week, for about a week since he has since returned uh, in the last game against the Minnesota Wild. Do you think his return was held off because the team had been playing so well and a return at home on Pittsburgh theme night would have been more of a spectacle? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting to think about. I don't think, I mean, I think when he was ready to play, they would play him. I don't think they were holding him out specifically to play at home, but Sometimes, you know, did did they want to give him just that extra day or two just to definitely make sure he was fine? Yeah, I think there's probably some logic in that. And, 
I think it's, it's, it's definitely a happy coincidence that he gets to make his return at home. But I think more than anything else, they just wanted to make sure as soon as he was ready and they were sure he was ready and was all systems go that, that he could come back. And that's pretty much what happened. All right. Our next question comes to us from at Wolvesgrove, who says, do you think Malkin's production for the season will increase or decrease with Crosby back in the lineup? Well, if the game against the Wild was any indication, it looks like, you know, Malkin could be, uh, you know, could be continuing this really, really hot stretch he's been on. But it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting question because if Malkin, or if Crosby comes back and presumably he'll get the top pairing of Latang on the right side, and I don't know if, if Jack Johnson will continue to be on the left side of the pairing with Chris Latang. Uh, common sense dictates that your best defenseman's going to be out. Your best defensive pairing, I guess that would be Johnson and Latang for the time being, would be out with your best forward grouping, which is at the time with the first line with Crosby and McCann and Simone for the time being. And that would then give the second pair, the second defensive pairing to the second line of, 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 uh, of Genny Malkin, Brian Rust and Dominic Cahoon. So, th- th- you know, there have been, I- I've seen some correlations, let's say where if Chris Letang and, and Sidney Crosby are on the ice together, obviously that means Evgeny Malkin is getting, I think in my, in, in my opinion, a lesser talented defenseman. I think Chris Letang is obviously the most talented defenseman on the team. And I think the reason why I'm comparing um, defense and forward, Chris Letang and Crosby to Chris Letang and Malkin, is because I think Chris Letang's presence with Evgeny Malkin, I think that's part of the reason why you've seen Malkin go on this hot stretch. I think Malkin you know, needs to be... I think he can drive play by himself, but I think I also think Genny Malkin needs to have those players around him that can also help drive the play, which is why, you know, I don't know. It's too early to tell with only one game played if Malkin is going to go into this massive slump. But, you know, for, for the time being, like I said, if the Minnesota game is any indication, uh, I don't think that uh, production will decrease you know, to a rapid extent where we're all, we're all of a sudden concerned what, you know, what's happened to Evgeny Malkin. Jim, did, did anything that I just say make sense to you? I hope it sounded, you know, I hope I could make sense of, you know, what I was trying to say, but I hope you, you could get the gist of why I think, you know, Latang and Malkin, Malkin needs a, a decent supporting cast around him to continue to play well. Right. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, I think on the flip side of the coin for that talk, too, is that if Malkin's playing second line, uh, you got John Marino stepping up first. That That's a big thing. Maybe Justin Schultz, if he gets back, he can move the puck a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things when Crosby comes back, maybe Malkin's production goes down, too. But Malkin doesn't, also doesn't have to play the other team's top defense pair or top checking line. So uh, you have to factor that in, too, I think. And... Tuesday night, what stood out to me is Malkin was very assertive on the power play. He went right to the net to score a goal, that first goal, which Patrick Hornquist was crashing in the net two seconds later, and Crosby was close to. So I, I just I like the way Malkin is engaged, and I'm not really worried about his points per game if they go up or down. If When you see Malkin like driving to the net and doing stuff like that, that's a good sign he's on his game, and players that good for that long, they're going to find ways to affect the outcome of games no matter where they are or really who's on the ice with them. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying that, you know, losing Chris Letang as a regular partner, pairing partner for him might hurt at five on five. But 
you know, the other side of the coin is Malkin has had a long career playing in the shadow of Sidney Crosby, if you want to say that. And he's played very well, too, doing that. So I, I, I expect that to continue, too. Commander Kern and Tim Fritz, Tim Fritz, excuse me, are both chime in with similar questions. And the phrasing of this question is what intrigued me. Are there any superstars out there that Rutherford could wheel and deal for? We have a lot of cap space, but any trade depends on who is on the market. Those good questions, and we would all love to know just what they might be thinking. It, it seems like these days it's very difficult to make huge high-profile trades. So I, I guess depending on what your definition of like what a superstar is, I, I mean, no one like in the top 20 or 30 in scoring is probably going to get traded. So along those lines, there's that. And one thing that Pierre Lebrun in The Athletic mentioned is even though the Penguins have all the cap space pretty much that they want, they still have to pay Jake Gensel out of their budget when he's hurt. So, and, and I mean... The ownership group in Pittsburgh has been really great about letting the Penguins do what they need to do to have the best team. But I don't know, like, if are they going to bring in a guy, another guy who makes $6 million, like, actual dollars or has a contract in the future? Or, you know, I think that's something to take into account and maybe a good reason why if they trade Galchenyuk out, he makes a salary of $4.9 million this year. So that would kind of help out, too, a lot in terms of just balancing the overall money that they have to spend because any business doesn't want to spend money if they don't have to. That's just a natural kind of thing. So I would keep that in mind, too, when you're looking at you know trade dreams is maybe try to be a little realistic about how much is, are the Penguins actually adding to their bottom line and does it make sense. I do think if for hockey purposes, if they could get like a Jason Zucker or a Chris Kreider or Tyler Toffoli, they're definitely going to do it. But, you know, just big picture, you got to keep things in mind that there's a lot of pieces in play and a lot of stuff sliding around to consider. So that makes it difficult, but makes it fun. What about you, Garrett? Who do you like as, as possible mid season trade replacement? Any superstars coming to town? My personal, like my personal hope dream, I guess, um, Brandon sod, uh, is, as a name that I've always been fond of. And I, I like the, I like the Pittsburgh connection. You know, I still think Brandon sod could, very high, very contribute very highly, very positively if put into this top six of the Penguins. Um, you know, we and over the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned countless names uh, Chris Kreider, Tyler Toffoli. I think out of all of those names, I think Brandon Saad is the closest thing to a superstar. But like, like you said, Jim, it depends on what your definition of a superstar is. And for me, I, I consider, I, I consider uh, Brandon Saad, I, I'll say he's a a low tier superstar in the NHL. So I guess for me, Brandon Saad bringing the Pittsburgh kid back to Pittsburgh, that would be what I would go for. Yeah, I'd definitely be all for that one. And our final question comes to us from Chigger. I don't know how to say that. Like, is that a bug, a Chigger? (laughs) Um, Sounds gross. Yes. But this question is phrased as Jack Johnson has, absolutely turned his play around from what it was the last three years. Still bad in the offensive zone, but the defensive zone stuff now is average to above average. Is it time to sell high on him? Maybe replace him with Alec Martinez? Yes, let's sell high on Jack Johnson. Get him out as fast as possible. Uh, (laughs) um, But I I guess for a longer answer, what you're looking for, 
Yeah, this season has been, uh, the second season in Pittsburgh has been perceived uh, as much better, um, much more positively than Jack Johnson's first season in Pittsburgh. Um, And you you pretty much described it there, you know, still in the offensive zone. He's been okay defensively, um, you know, still has some pretty major gaffes every now and again on the ice. Um, In terms of selling high, it still comes down to what general manager is going to look at the remainder of that contract. And, you know, if they do their homework on Jack Johnson at 33 years old, 32, 33 years old and say, what kind of defender are we getting um, at that term and length of the contract? You know, like like I've always said, there are general managers in this league that are have to be, and I'm not on the inside, but there are general managers in this league that have to be pretty easy to fool. You know, guys who the general managers who subscribe to the notion of, you know, a good character guy, a good veteran, or you know whatever, yada, 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 kind of adjective you want to use to describe, you know, maybe that kind of general manager takes a takes a look and takes a flyer on Jack Johnson. Alex Martinez is interesting that you bring that up. I'm, I've looked at his stats. In 30 games this year with the Kings, he only has six points. I mean, generally, the Kings have been a pretty bad team over the last several years. He has decent uh, possession metrics as well. Um, I w- in terms of, you know... D- when looking at those defensemen side by side, I think Alec Martinez is um, uh, certainly an upgrade over Jack Johnson. I think, Jim, you would agree with me as well. Also, another thing that comes to mind is what we talked about earlier, Jim Rutherford not wanting to mess with the cohesiveness or the gel or the chemistry of this team. And I think for the old school general manager that Jim Rutherford is, I don't even know if that would even apply to Jack Johnson, you know, not wanting to move Jack Johnson, not wanting to screw even the tiniest thing up. I I think if you were to ask Jim Rutherford, I think he'd say he's been satisfied with uh, Jack Johnson's play this year. So if, if given the chance to sell high, yes, I'd sell high on Jack Johnson. Absolutely. I think it makes the defense that much better. Alec Martinez, that's a good choice. I, I, I would be all for an Alex, Alec Martinez trade as well. Jim, what about you? I think you got it absolutely right. Obviously, you know, if, if it was a fan making a call, yeah, you definitely trade Jack Johnson now if he has any value. And he just turned 33 years old earlier this week and still has three more years after this one on his contract. So I echo a lot of what you said that I don't know how practical it is that another team would want him. And then it's kind of like a dilemma or catch-22 that – Jack Johnson's defensive play, like the number of chances the Penguins allowed, have gone down drastically from last season to this season. So if that happens and he's playing better, then the general manager and the coach isn't going to want to lose him because, you know, they'll, they'll be satisfied enough with what he's doing in his role. So it's kind of like the better he does, probably the less likely I would say that he's actually going to leave the team in the near future. If he was just a disaster, maybe then you just cut your losses and try to give him a change of of scenery or just make him a healthy scratch like it seemed like they were moving towards last year. So uh, to me, unfortunately, or or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I think Jack Johnson's play, since he has been solid enough this year, and I'll I'll give him credit for that where it's due because he's been better. He's, he's, you know, the team's done better. I I don't know if it's all him to credit or what, but... 
you know, if he's giving the adequate play that he is, I think the Penguins would be happy to stick that in their pocket and maybe make him, you know, obviously and get him back in the third pair role once Dumoulin gets healthy and hope hope that a teammate like Justin Schultz or John Marino can kind of lift Jack Johnson up and keep it moving. And I agree with your point, too, about chemistry, um, especially, you know, they always tout the intangibles of Jack Johnson, not that I think it really ultimately matters all that much, but for leadership and for mixing the room and for stuff like that. He's, he's a popular guy with his teammates. There's no doubt about that. So why upset that apple cart if you don't have to? And you, I love what you said about, you know, this team is gelling and everything's going good. Would they do that? I, I also think that's a reason why not to do that at this moment in time. Maybe just see how this goes, revisit it in the summer. But, I think, unfortunately, it looks like Jack Johnson's here for the time now being. Yeah, uh, there's always hope, you know, in the offseason. I don't think Jack Johnson's going to be traded at all, um, at least through through this season. There's always hope that once the buyout window comes in the offseason, in the summertime, you know, um, fans are probably going to be clamoring for Jack Johnson's contract to be bought out. Historically, I don't think... Many NHL teams, certainly not the Penguins, have used uh, buyouts, you, you know, um, very often. So, you know, if if roster construction in the summertime, if if they look at Latang and Marino, I think Schultz will walk. Um, you know, Dumoulin obviously is coming back. Um, Pedersen is close to getting a long-term extension. Um, you know, if they feel like they can do better without Jack Johnson in a third pairing role. You know, maybe his contract gets bought out. Uh, that's a contract for another time down the road. I don't even know if I see the buyout happening. Like I said, I don't think many teams use the buyout all that much uh, in this day and age. But yeah, for, for the time being, Jim, I agree with you. I think we're stuck with Jack Johnson for better or for worse. Yep. And I mean, I guess the happy news is that at least it has been for the better this year because last year it was so bad and this year it's been passable results so hey you gotta you gotta take what you can get in that regard so i guess just enjoy this now while it lasts yep uh, i couldn't said it better myself always the glass half full kind of guy uh jim do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up this episode of the pensburg podcast hey we'll we'll just leave it on the optimistic jack johnson note so that that sounds like as good a place as any to leave it on I agree with you. Uh, follow along all season long uh, for all of our coverage at Pensburg. You can follow our uh, Twitter account at Pensburg. Follow our podcast Twitter account at Pensburg Pod. You can find uh, Pensburg on Facebook as well. Get notified every time a new podcast episode goes out by subscribing to your podcasting platform of choice. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and we're also on Pensburg.com whenever a new podcast episode goes out every Thursday morning. Uh, but for Jim Rixner, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.